One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Jolly and this is our latest instalment of the podcast series with Tory leadership candidates walking out. Except this morning we're not walking out. I'm with Jeremy Hunt for reasons that I'm not totally sure how this has happened. Uh, Jeremy, we're going actually running. We are. Uh, This is my morning run and we're going to go across two bridges over the Thames and uh, we're just going to see whether that makes the answers to the questions better or worse <laughs> or probably more breathy how far are we going go on then uh, let's start let's start we're just going to go three miles oh three miles. that's that's i can do that hopefully your um security team are telling me that you are quite fast well they're being very flattering i think it depends what sort of day it is but uh, this is actually a slightly shorter run than some of the ones i go on we'll go left here um but uh no it's the best way to start the day i absolutely uh, wouldn't do it any other way. Only thing that put me off is that uh, when I was health secretary, I met so many orthopaedic surgeons who said, "You really shouldn't run over the age of 40 <laughs> They changed oh, really? the knees in their time. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm I'm well over the limit in that respect. So I try not to run absolutely every day. In the past couple of days, we've seen quite a lot of your leadership rivals suddenly donning their trainers, but you really do do this every day. I used to run absolutely every day. Um, I've now cut it down to three to four times a week. But I just find it's the best way of switching off. When I was training to be a football referee, the coach said to me that you play football to escape your problems, you go running to solve your problems. Ah. So um, you do your political thinking on your run? I do all my thinking, actually. Um, you can just process thoughts and... Uh, it's just also a great way to start the day. And so, what's currently occupying your mind on your on your morning jog? Well, someone told me there was a contest going on at the moment, <laughs> Matt. Um, maybe you can tell me a bit more about it. Well, you, I think you ought to think about joining in. Everyone seems to be doing it. Seems to be a very popular thing to do. So go on then, what's your doorstep pitch? Why should you be Prime Minister over the 200 other people who seem to be running? Well, the field's uh, beginning to whittle down a bit. Yeah. But uh, we've got a very basic problem as a country and a very basic choice. The problem is that when it comes to Brexit, we've only got lousy choices on the table at the moment. And the question is which Prime Minister, which putative Prime Minister is going to get us some better choices. And I think as an entrepreneur, who's been doing deals all my life and as foreign secretary who's got to know European governments over the last year I'm in the best position to do that Why do you think we haven't left? Whose fault is it that we haven't left? Well, you can point lots of fingers at different people um, You know, there's been a lot of attention on failures of the government to negotiate the Brexit we want but I think also 
we've seen a fracturing of the Conservative Parliamentary Party on both extremes, which have meant that we haven't been able to achieve a consensus in Parliament. And my simple message will be to my Conservative colleagues, if we don't unite, there will be no Brexit. It's as simple as that. And if there's no Brexit, what does that mean for the Tory party? Annihilation. We are finished. There will be no Conservative party. Uh, we will be squeezed by the Brexit party on the right, the Lib Dems on the left. We'll become like um, centre-right parties in many European countries, completely incapable of forming a government unless it's in coalition with a party that doesn't share our values. So what's your message specifically to those Tory Brexiteers who get very cross about the fact they haven't left, but they also haven't voted to leave? They haven't voted for the deal. Well, I understand, I've always understood the concerns about the backstop. In fact, when I talk to you, we're going to cross here. When I talk to European leaders and explain what the backstop means, staying in the customs union until we're given permission to leave it by the EU, they understand why that's very different for a sovereign parliament to support. I would also say. So we're just going up steps. So we've just gone up some steps on. To, what's this bridge called? The Waterloo Bridge. Is this Jubilee Bridge? Could be. Anyway, it's the one near. It's the one near the uh, London Eye. Anyway, it's got the best views in London. Yeah. We can see the, the scaffolding of a big bed. But I would also say to all my colleagues that we are never going to find a Brexit that's perfect for everyone. But if we don't compromise from the most hardline positions, there just won't be a Brexit at all. It's as simple as that. And so you mentioned other EU leaders. You were in Portsmouth chatting to lots of them. Do you feel that your uh, position as Foreign Secretary gives you an edge because you know these people? Angela Merkel, Macron. Um, I think it helps me understand the way they're thinking and in any negotiation that's the most important thing you've got to understand the other side where they're coming from work out your leverage and secure a deal that works for you just pause for a moment just uh, on the south bank so that I can get my breath back obviously you're absolutely fine a lot of people have talked about your predecessor at the foreign office is he as unpopular with world leaders as is often reported? I think he's very popular with um, some world leaders, uh, <laughs> namely uh, President Trump. Um, but uh, Are you coming up on the rails on the Trump popularity stake because he seems to, seems to like Jeremy just as much? Well, I have a, a good rapport with him, but uh, you know, this is someone who, love him or loathe him, is incredibly uh, affectionate towards Britain. And in the post-Brexit world, as we plough our furrow in a totally different way, that's going to be a very big asset to us. And what have you been talking to him about? Did you discuss Iran with him this week? Yes, we discussed uh, all sorts of different issues. And that's one of the things that you realise when you do this job, that that partnership between the UK and the USA is one of the most important in the world today. And the uh, extraordinary peace and prosperity that we've had since 1945 has been made possible because of this incredibly strong bond between two of the oldest democracies. 
And do you think President Trump is at all affected by the protests and Jeremy Corbyn shouting in Whitehall? He notices them. He's not as thick-skinned as everyone says, um, but he's a very determined guy, and he's not afraid to be unpopular if he thinks it's the right thing for America, and he's not afraid to take people on, as I think Sadiq Khan found to his cost <laughs> when uh, the president arrived. Did he give you any advice about how to win or what to do if you become prime minister? Uh, I didn't ask the question that way, but I did have quite long conversations with him last time he came, and also a little bit this time, on uh, his use of social media and the power of the tweet. Um, and I think he's someone that um, all politicians can learn from, the attention that he pays to communicating with his base and the American people is very impressive, whether or not you agree with the content. So, so will your tweets become more Trumpian? Not more Trumpian, but uh, <laughs> more frequent and more Jeremy. Do you want to have Yeah, let's, let's um, carry on along, along the South Bank. I mean, obviously, we're, so we've recorded this on Friday morning. This is the day that Theresa May officially stands down as Tory leader. In the end, and I know people say she was resilient and she stuck at it and perseverance and sense of duty. In the end, was she just not up to the job of delivering Brexit? I think that history would be kinder than that because uh, it was a situation that she inherited, she didn't create, and it was ultimately a situation when a rock hit a hard place she did her very best uh, with an incredible sense of duty and extraordinary resilience and I hope history will remember that sense of duty because I think for those who've worked closely with her that is the thing that really stands out about her. So what is it that you think you can do that she didn't do to break this Brexit lockdown? Rather than compare myself to her in that way, let me tell you the things that are different about me. If I become Prime Minister, I'll be the first one who has a background as an entrepreneur. What do entrepreneurs do? They negotiate deals. In government, I use those skills to negotiate the BBC licence fee in less than 24 hours in 2010. The junior doctor's contract took nearly a year. That was a really tough one. Negotiation is what we have to do right now. For the new Prime Minister, there will be some crucial differences to how things were earlier this year. First of all, the EU cannot be in any doubt that the backstop won't get through Parliament. There may be some people in the EU who thought, just hold tight, the Brits will cave. They've seen that's not the case. Secondly, I think they will listen to a new Prime Minister and give a hearing. And thirdly, they are realising the cost to the European Union of not solving the Brexit issue. It's a shadow hanging over them, which they want resolved as well. So let's talk no deal, because you faced a bit of criticism for the one stage saying we could flourish if we had no deal then saying it would be political suicide. What is your position on the idea of Britain leaving without a deal? I didn't say no deal would be political suicide. I said calling a general election would be political suicide. And I think we'll look at the Peterborough result. You can see that any kind of electoral contest before we've delivered Brexit is going to be fatal for us as a party. On no deal, I've always said 
in the end, in extremis, if it was the only way to deliver Brexit, the only way, then I would do it. But I'd do it with a heavy heart because of the risks to our businesses and the risks to the union. And I wouldn't do it if there was a good prospect of a better deal. And that's what I'm going to be putting my energies into delivering. And if there's a good prospect of a better deal, but not by the end of October, would you seek a short extension? I don't want an extension, but the reality is no one knows the choices yeah. that we're going to face then. We don't know if no deal will be on the table or not. We don't know what, what's going to be happening with the new commission, who the next president's going to be, who we'd be negotiating with. We don't know what progress we're going to be able to make over the summer. So I don't think you can, anyone can sensibly say now what choices they would take when they've got absolutely no idea what choices yeah. are going to be on the table. And what about the Dominic Raab idea of provoke Parliament and we leave while nobody's watching? I think it's inconceivable. In a parliamentary democracy, the Parliament is sovereign to say you're going to get round Parliament by shutting up shop for a couple of months or however long it is. Uh, it would never work. Who's your biggest threat in this contest? Well, Boris is the front runner. Michael's doing very well. Sajid's doing well. Matt Hancock's doing well. These contests, there are so many twists and turns. One day you look in the papers, it's one person. The other day it's someone else. <coughs> My view is no point being in the cabinet for nine years, longer actually than anyone else in the contest. <coughs> and not just telling people the truth about the choices we face as I see them. And that's what I'm going to do. And if you do get down to the final two, and it looks like it will be with Boris, all the polling suggests he's the favourite amongst members. How do you persuade them that the guy they think is going to ride to their rescue isn't the right man? Boris has got enormous skills. But we've just got to be very careful we don't adopt an approach to Brexit that leads us to an unexpected general election and handing the keys of number 10 to Corbyn. We are in an incredibly fragile position right now. If we get this wrong, we won't just hand number 10 to Corbyn. We will stop there ever being a possibility of Brexit because I for one don't believe Corbyn could or would ever deliver Brexit. If you look at his party, he's even more split than we are on it. And I don't see them ever allowing him to leave the EU. Have a little breather. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you looked at British politics and thought, this is not normal, join me, Matt Chorley, on my tour as I try to explain what the hell is going on. For tickets, go to mytimesplus.co.uk. All you mean here is not normal. I couldn't believe it when my good friend Diane Adams told me we'd sold 50,000 tickets. <laughs> so what I'm going to try and do is to try and explain why politics has gone so weird. Now, this is going to take about four or five hours. Um, this is the run-up to the 2007 local government elections. And I was going to interview David Cameron. So I asked him lots of really tough questions, like why do people vote Conservative? Why do you love Cornwall so much? What's your favourite farm animal? If only I'd ask the follow-up question. When Jeremy Corbyn went on Mum's Net and asked about your favourite biscuit, he said, if forced, he would have shortbread. If forced. Who forced you to have shortbread? And she'd be taken hostage by a Scottish terrorist. <laughs> He's probably friends with them anyway. So you talked about your um, business background, your entrepreneurial background. Are you really the richest man in the cabinet? I've no idea. Oh, you must do. No. Talk to those boring meetings, oh, you must have looked around the table. No idea at all. <laughs> um, but what I am is one of the very few people in the cabinet who's set up their own business from scratch, who didn't take the easy choice of going and working in the city or for a big consultancy, but in my early 20s, set out on my own, had an incredible adventure along the way, and learned about some of the things that really matter for a business, but also for Britain, post-Brexit. What you do as a business is you say, what can we do better than anyone else? What we've got to do as a country is to say, post-Brexit, what are we going to do better than anyone else? And my answer is, we're going to be the most pro-business, pro-enterprise, high-tech, greenest economy in Europe. And we've got a real chance to do that because we've got the best universities in Europe this way more tech startups, uh, more medicines being developed here. It's just a phenomenal opportunity in this country and we've got to get our confidence back because if we do, I really think the sky's the limit. And one of your first business adventures was marmalade. Tell me about that. Yeah, I lived in Japan for a couple of years and I noticed that you, you couldn't buy Frank Cooper's Oxford Marmalade. We'll go on the grass here. And uh, so when I came back, I found the manufacturers who got the exclusive marketing rights for Japan. And I tracked up and down Japan, trying to persuade them that this was the moment to go big on marmalade. Um, unfortunately, the marmalade boom, <laughs> if ever it existed, had passed me by. <clears throat> but I didn't give up. And then did something else, something else, and 
finally with my best friend we set up a business that that took off um and you learn never to give up this, learn, is, this is hot courses this is hot courses um and uh and i was very proud that uh, started as a publishing company straight on then became an internet company and uh, when we started Google was just about around but it was AltaVista, Ask Jeeves, Yahoo yeah. we managed to survive for 17 years still going strong by keeping ahead of the competition despite all those changes in the technology industry over that period <coughs> I think we're, we're very proud of what the whole team achieved now, when I was doing my due diligence, for which I'm looking at Wikipedia, it tells me you're a distant relative of the Queen. Yeah, I think that's absolute nonsense. <laughs> oh, that's a um, shame. Um, uh, no, I, it would fit a wonderful caricature of a Tory top, <laughs> but I'm not aware of any links to Her Majesty whatsoever. Oh, that is disappointing. Sorry. <laughs> so let's talk about sort of policy stuff. Is austerity over? I think austerity is coming to a close because of some incredibly difficult decisions that were taken in 2010. The need for financial discipline is never over. And we have to be very clear that the loss of financial discipline under the last Labour government made the recession much worse than it would otherwise have been. Okay, what about uh, grammar schools? Are you a fan? I'm a, I'm a fan of raising standards and uh, I have no problem with grammar schools that are doing well expanding but the central question in education is how to get more children into good and outstanding schools and it's about rigour and I think the, the real blind spot in our education system now is not actually the 50% of students who go to university it's the 50% who don't too many of whom still leave school, not able to read and write properly. So we're just walking around through Parliament Square. How's the Parliament behind us, covered in scaffolding and to either hold it up or catch the bits that drop off? Where were you on the debate about what should happen to Parliament? Should we move out permanently, decant a little bit? I think we've just got to get on with it. Um, the shock of what happened to Notre Dame is just a reminder that if you duck these decisions on maintenance, you're taking very big risks. So uh, I think we've got to get on with it as quickly as we can. Um, keep the costs under control. But uh, my experience with these big contracts is the longer you spin them out, the more expensive they become. OK, on your old, old job, Department of Health, you probably thought about social care more than anyone else. What's your plan for social care? I was very keen to publish a green paper on social care because I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, I think the what we need to do on social care has three elements. Um, first of all, there is a funding issue. Uh, local authorities are struggling to pay for what most people would think is decent levels of care. We have to recognise that. Is that because cuts have been loaded onto councils? because we're still slightly out of sight, out of mind, and now it's sort of caught up with them. I think they were the, the hidden victims of the cuts that were necessary in 2010, but um, affected different 
public services differently and I think the social care cuts had a delayed effect. Uh, they had the unintended consequences of a lot of people being kept far too long in hospitals. Actually a much more expensive place to keep them than in the social care system. So that wasn't a smart move. Um, but also the second element is a structural one which is we have got to bring together our health and social care systems so that as far as the users of those systems are concerned, the 90-year-old constituent of mine with dementia, for example, is just one system. And uh, if we wrap care around that vulnerable person, you can do two things. First of all, you can make it less likely that she's going to need to go to A&E at 9 o'clock on a Friday night. And secondly, you can make it less likely that she's going to need to go into residential care. So, preventing the need for people to need emergency care or intensive care in the end is the best way of keeping costs under control as well as being obviously the right thing for the human being at the centre of it all. We're just walking past the Treasury now. Do you know who will be your Chancellor? All those things are decisions for a later stage, Matt. Um, there's a contest to be won first. What, what, what are your chances, do you think? What are your odds? How hopeful are you? Well, you get longer odds on me than you would on Boris. So um, The front runner never wins. The front runner never wins. If you really want to make money, as I said earlier this week, it has to be Hunt. <laughs> so what, all this exercise is very admirable. What is it that you're burning off? What's your vice? That means you have to go running every morning. Well, I have a one or two vices, but um, the one that most particularly relates to running is probably my sweet tooth and love of desserts. Oh, very good. What's your favourite dessert? And you're not allowed to say eat and mess, because that's exactly. too obvious. It's definitely not eat and mess. Um, ooh. Oh, do you know something? I can, I can manage most desserts, but uh, um, I'm a very chocolatey person. So, uh, Anything chocolate I'm a sucker for. Well, I think if we've learned anything on this jog slash interview. I've got more chocolate to burn off than you have. Uh, Jeremy Hunt, thanks very much. Thank you, Matt. Well done. That was impressive. <laughs>